Welcome to Constructed Curiosity, a podcast that aims to expand your horizons and promote personal growth by exploring various topics and having conversations with extraordinary people. I'm your host, Casey Sprague. Thank you for joining me, and let's start the show. So today I'm joined by Emery Heisler. Emery, how are you doing? I'm good to see you. Glad to see you, Casey. So you're a very interesting guy. You know, I've worked for you, we've worked together. It's been a fun experience. You're one of the best people I've met in the last couple of years. So let's start off. What makes Emory Emory and where did it all start? Childhood, where? Oh, it's very kind of you first to say that. Um, well, uh, where did it all start? Uh, so I grew up in the desert in Southern California and out in the farmlands. Baseball was our life. Um, not very well off to do uh, financially. Parents divorced, moved to South Dakota of all places. Uh, so was pretty much ripped away from everything that I counted on day to day and moved into an entirely different kind of world up there. And then uh, worked my way through high school up there. Had some really amazing results uh, show up in, in retrospect. It seemed horrible at the time, but uh, that changed my life towards the outdoors and you know, entertaining ourselves instead of having, you know, Southern California entertainment pushed at you all the time, even back in the sixties and seventies uh, that we, you know, it made me and the people that I hung out with become much more uh, self-reliant and uh, enjoying uh, nature in the outdoors to have a lot of our entertainment. And then thank God for the army. Uh, had no money really to go to college, but did my three years in the army did some school and while I was there, got my computer science degree afterwards. And, you know, who knew in uh, 1980 that anyone with any you know, skills in computer programming and such was going to be such a hot commodity for the next 30 years. So I've been really blessed in uh, a lot of ways uh, to take advantage of uh, educational opportunities that were you know, presented or that I went out and found and find good people like yourself and the people that were my mentors. Uh, back in my first 10, 15 years to give me a direction and a uh, an example of what uh, I hoped was good leadership. And as you and I were talking about before we got on the uh, recording, you know, truly good leadership isn't always what a lot of employers want. Uh, <laughs> they want people that are just going to beat people up and push them around and squeeze every last uh, drop of productivity out of them. And uh, that was never me. You know, I was looking for a level that uh, would allow us all to be successful, for people to have a work-life balance, for me to have a work-life balance. And all in all, it you know it worked out uh, to be a really good career, uh, 40, 45 years uh, in the Army and various companies uh, along the way. Uh, I think I counted up. I had 14 different employers in my 40, 45 years. So, you know, only averaged out to be three to five years per employer. Uh, I guess that's, uh, it used to be a pretty high turnover for a person. Uh, it's not, I think, you know, the gig economy is not anymore. Yeah. So maybe I was uh, a little precursor of that, um, you know, getting into companies. I was always there very much a troubleshooter, problem solver, as, you know, we saw when we worked together of a place that really need to have a turnaround. And so I'm definitely more of a problem solver turnaround guy than a maintenance guy that's just going to be the caretaker after everything's stabilized. 
Well, I would and, definitely say that working with you, you, you challenge the status quo. You know, you, you pushed back against, you know, just conventional thinking. What formed that within you to want to challenge everything like that? Well, if what you're doing ain't really? working, <laughs> you might want to try something else. Uh, really, to me, it's as simple as that. Uh, why continue? Oh, in fact, there's this old uh, project manager adage. If you're in a hole, the first thing to do is stop digging. And following the old practices that got you there, to me, is just digging your hole deeper and deeper. You got to stop digging. got to stop making the mistakes that are giving you the challenges to begin with. Um, that combined with articulating a place that you want to be and a way that you want to operate, you know, goes hand in hand. But the first thing is stop making it any worse than it is. That's a great point. I mean, don't start fires just to put them out. Well, I mean, there's some people that made a whole career of that. <laughs> I worked with a guy who was told point blank, we can't promote you because you don't solve enough problems. He was a problem preventer. Yeah. And the people next to him were the guys with the gas cans and the lighters out there just starting just all kinds of mayhem and solving the mayhem. But they were the ones that caused it, too. So that's an interesting uh, approach that, you know, some people I think have actually leveraged becoming a, a problem maker into a pretty good career. Yeah, I mean, I guess if it works for you, it's not crazy. It's not really the most productive way. You'd hope somebody do a root cause analysis on that. But, yeah, if it works. Yeah, as it long works, as they uh, can make it so it doesn't point back on them, right? Yep. <laughs> so you've had a very interesting career track, and you talked about the 45-plus years. So. After leaving the military, what, what gig did you get into inside the computer industry? Well, at the, my last year of college was in South Dakota, and I worked at Black Hills Power and Light as a part-time programmer. We did a natural progression when I moved to Arizona to work for one of the utilities down here, and that was really a wonderful basis. They were uh, very advanced in terms of their internal training, and I got to participate in uh, cross-functional engineering and HR and finance development courses. They had a really excellent uh, program uh, to orient you across the whole company if you were one of the you know, chosen few. And I got uh, fortunately selected for that program. And so I got educated about all of the different aspects of uh, power and utility company activities, how power stations run and got to spend about three years working at power plants um, so really interesting cross-section of utility industry and then of it industry we were just such a uh, dedicated company to being on the forefront of software development methodologies at the time of database design and moves from the old vsam files to db2 and network databases so i got to participate in all of those types of things and uh, was really blessed with the level of education that I got out of that. So you probably hear from me over and over what a blessing education has been for me uh, in terms of being able to take that, combine it with some hard work, and be able to produce some new, re new results. So after that, I know you've worked in healthcare. What was the challenges going from utilities to a healthcare setting? Yeah, that's a great catch there. Uh, 
in the mid nineties. So I've been a health, I mean, a power plant guy uh, for 15 years out of college and the power and power software, power company software industry started to go through all of this consolidation, you know, Enron, everybody remembers that name. And, you know, they were just buying, gobbling up uh, soft or power companies. So instead of our uh, utility software company having maybe three or four candidates per state, suddenly you've got Enron buying up a handful of utilities and consolidating them using the same software everywhere. So the marketplace started to really, uh, decline in terms of utility software opportunities. And I knew some people that um, worked with doctors and that were doctors at a hospital here nearby. And when I'd end up at parties with them, they'd go, what do you do? I mean, I work in software. And they, oh my God, healthcare software. It's so backwards. It's so horrible. <laughs> and I'm thinking, lemonade, <laughs> right? It's like, gosh, this sounds like a perfect opportunity to uh, make a transition from one industry that you can't live without, electricity, to another industry you can't live without, healthcare. Yep. And I don't know if this is worth the little uh, side story. I wrote a piece on in economics in college, one of my term papers about an article called The Pig in the Python. And it was about the baby boom generation going through the economy and how they were going to change demand for all kinds of things like they did for building schools in the 50s and 60s. And now look at us needing uh, senior health care in the 2020s because that's where this big bubble of uh, humanity. And so that was actually part of the driver for me to move from utilities to healthcare. was like I could see that demand continuing there. Uh, and it's turned out really well. I uh, worked in both the hospital side and the uh, claims side. And you asked about, you know, what are some of the challenges? Uh, the hospital provider side of healthcare has some very different challenges compared to what I call the claims and insurance side, the payer side. And my one of my key phrases that I would say about working in hospitals was that all of the hospital administrators' point of view was rooted in working in the emergency room. So instead of being preventive medicine people, they're emergency room doctors. <laughs> instead of trying to clean up your processes proactively and become healthier as a company, you just chop off an arm, man, save a life. And so we went through this again and again when I was working in hospitals where they would just have these horrific layoffs in order to manage costs that never really uh, address the underlying performance and process issues that got them to those situations. So I thought, always thought that was kind of interesting. And that was my uh, metaphor for it was that, you know, that was like uh, working in an ER where, you know, got to save your life, buddy. Sorry, taking the leg. And maybe not a correct match of who's running one where based on experience and different different issues. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. So that, it seems like there may have been you know, a, a not correct match between who ended up in the leadership positions based on their experience. I mean, I've seen that be systemic. Yeah, well, you know, within both healthcare um, provider um, and payer side, that's really just a standard uh, part of all businesses, isn't it? You hire people more like yourself. We've all you know, been trained in that little piece of management theory, or many of us have. And I think it's very true. 
you know, that was part of the reason I was very comfortable to hire you. Uh, you seemed very much more open-minded, not boxed into a specific paradigm, uh, willing to look at, uh, you asked earlier about, you know, being willing to uh, challenge the conventional wisdom. That's how we learn, right? You know, if we just keep doing the same thing, we'll keep getting the same results. And so, you know, that's, I think, part of the struggle within these larger industries is they keep hiring people that are more like themselves because they're more comfortable with them. So the companies keep behaving in the same way that they behaved before and getting the same you know, results, not really being able to break out of those paradigms. It's, it's stuck in that same OODA loop, you know, way of thinking. And it's just, it's a dangerous process when you really think about it. And I mean, you get too many managers that don't have leadership experience or too many aspirational leaders who don't know how to also do the management half of it. So it's just it's fun to do with that. Yeah, well, those skills are so multidimensional. I, I was reading something recently about um, how the generalist is becoming the real um, hot commodity instead of the specialist, because we've got so many people that are so deep in a very narrow specific area that they can't transition across to other areas. They can't uh, bring or learn techniques from one industry and apply them to an entirely you know, different industry, or it might not even uh, cross your mind that they'd have anything to do with each other. Uh, one example of doing that in my career was we took retail, like the Gap, and you know Marshall's inventory management forecasting theory, and applied it to power plant inventory management. So that was at the time the people that we presented it to thought we were pretty nuts, but it ended up saving millions in the first year. Um, because of taking advantage of things like seasonality and a shared inventory across multiple stores. You don't need to have this all that many of the same shirts in every store in town. Help move them around as the people purchase them um, and things like that, that at the time uh, was pretty unusual. Um, and I think people do get stuck in their own, you know, we've talked about this already once, you know, people that have done it the way they've done it, and this is how we do it. And uh, it's uncomfortable to have somebody come in and uh, shake that up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that, that line there reminds me of one of my favorite quotes in the movie Moneyball, where, you know, the guy from the A's is talking to the owner of the Red Sox, you know, trying to get him hired. And, you know, he says, you know, the first guy through the wall always gets his nose bloody because you're challenging their, you know, who they are as people. They, you know, they take it very personal that you just don't see their way as the right way. Yeah, that's a tough one, isn't it? Um, just how personal change management becomes for the owners of the the old way. Um, and, you know, I discovered pretty early on, I don't know that I ever got really much better at it, but <laughs> that, um, gosh, you come in and you the phrasing that you use about trying to improve something or change it, you really got to watch your language and vocabulary, right? It's about enhancing Right, because if you're not in taking uh, time to give credit to the way things were done and how they got there, you can miss some really important um, critical factors that must you have to keep in place. Uh, so you got to give respect to certainly to how things are and how they got that way, even if you're trying to change it. And man, is there a lot of uh, pride of ownership in people that have been running it for a long time? Oh, absolutely, and. Yeah, 
you do, you got a relationship management, something we talked about before we started recording, let's get into now, is really those soft skills, you know, understanding the emotional intelligence factors and realizing that something I've discovered, and I wouldn't say it's in my own personal thought, but communication is the key to everything. So if you don't understand people and you can't communicate effectively, then you're really going to struggle. So how do soft skills and communication, what do you think the most important aspects of those are? Well, you said if you don't understand people, and so how do you understand people? Certainly not by talking. <laughs> not by telling them stuff. Uh, the, the blessings that I feel like I've had in my career and life of being willing to listen to somebody else's point of view, take a flyer on some stuff that didn't, you know, didn't align with what we were doing, but, you know, they had enough um, evidence and backing or sometimes even just uh, commitment and passion for something. And they were somebody that had a lot of intelligence. And so it's like, you know, I'm not seeing this, but I'm just going to go for the ride with you because you're clearly an intelligent person and you have this passion. So, there, maybe there's something there and being willing to take that risk myself has taken me into some really great opportunities. Um, but that's not a comfortable place for most folks. And I have realized that that early change I discuss, I mentioned of moving from California to South Dakota, giving everything up, starting completely over with, you know, friends and Family, well, yeah, even family that I hadn't really spent any time with earlier in my life has happened again and again. Pick up all my roots, go join the Army. Get out of the Army. Shut all the doors on all that. Go to university. Get out of university. Go off to a new new place to have a new life. Get laid off from a utility company when I thought I was at the absolute, I had my best performance of my career, or performance review of my career, and six weeks later was laid off. It was like, uh, okay. <laughs> um, and then you just pick up and literally I moved to from Arizona to San Francisco over a weekend, got a new job and started a whole new life again. And so that's given me a comfort with change management. That's certainly not, you know, typical for most folks. You know, you get settled into things. You want to stay with things that are uh, stable and that you know what's going to happen. And so I think that's maybe given me more comfort with those things to, uh, participate in and be a leader of changes because and and take some of those flyers because I've been picked up and dropped into new places so many times and it's always worked out just fine. You know, here I am. So that actually brought a question to my mind. They're talking about moving to a lot of different places. So I've done that as well. You know, moved all over the place while I was in the military, moved a couple different times since then. Do you ever just get in the mode where you're like, okay, it's time for a change. You want to do something different because you know, you've either reached the potential of that, the monotony of wherever you are has just become, you know, too like it's become too stagnant. Well, mostly because of a I don't know if I said this on the recording or not, but I'm not much of a maintenance guy. You know, once things become stable and we're just, you know, go oil the machines every week, go replace these parts every month <laughs> just go with the routine and just keep operating uh, what was my joke uh, i'm not the guy to mow the lawn at the cemetery every day 
you know, and just mow a different part of the cemetery every day forever and ever and ever. And it takes <laughs> or paint this, the Golden Gate Bridge and you just never stop doing the same thing. I'm a problem solver. I like something new. And certainly I have seen that uh, happen in my career where, you know, we've settled things here. You know, it's it's going to be like this for a while. We've reached a point, uh, a plateau, if you will, or a, a point of efficiency that we need to just let it run. Let's take advantage of this for a while and milk the profits and the productivity that we can get out of this new model that we've created. Uh, and then find out, start looking forward to the next new problem. And that's where I become a thorn in the side of most management people I've worked for, because once we get one problem settled, you know, I'm starting to look forward. What's the next thing we could be working on? And uh, sometimes they don't want to talk about that. They're happy to stay with what we're doing. And that's when it's usually been time for me to build. Yeah, they just want to keep going on the way they're going. And that's, if it doesn't fit your personality, it doesn't fit your personality. Well, right. And that's okay. You know, and I never had a problem internally. Uh, my ex-wife certainly was uncomfortable with it uh, more than a time or two uh, as I changed jobs. But I always ended up finding something better, more interesting, you know, advances in my career again and again. And so, you know, I became less and less worried about it. Um, I figured, you know, hard work, keep working the process of networking and the people that I've been blessed to know through my life and, you know, something will turn up and it always did. So, so we talked about four star recording as well. Let's get into is your recent epiphany. Uh, which one? The second place epiphany? Yeah, the second place. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting one. You know, um, I can't remember what it was, but certainly through the um, football playoffs, and the drive to be the champion and all of the advertisements about championships, et cetera, it, somewhere in that it dawned on me that I hadn't ever really won any. Uh, I'd been so close so many times and that that was a pretty good life to be in second place. You know, this, I think it's really sad that first loser mentality. It's like, God, yeah, I'd rather be first loser than 75th loser. Um, you know, you look at the bell curve and things like that. How about it? It's nice to be somewhere on the right hand half of the curve. Um, and my life has really been filled with a whole lot of those. Uh, did my best, was with a great group of people that I enjoyed doing whatever it was that we did. We might not have won the big championship, but, you know, we played against the championship teams and held our own, you know, looking at your Bengals this year and and the Chiefs and just how God, the tiny little nuance of difference to get into the Super Bowl or not is nothing negative about Burroughs and those guys, right? That's just fabulous talent and they should celebrate that. And so that's something that I've uh, kind of taken on as a mantra is to try and reinforce that for people uh, that, you know, building the skills, having the experience, enjoying the journey might be more important because more of us are going to get to do that than are going to get to win the championships. There's a tiny percentage of people get to do that. And then some people just go off the deep end that, you know, they failed. And it's like, no, you know, that's not failure. God, look at all the wonderful, joyful things we can be thankful for uh, in the second place life. And I think that's one of the most profound things I've heard in a long time. And if people really do, I mean, my generation, you know, there's a mix of everybody gets a trophy when we were kids, but you had to be the best. Like, you know, oh, everybody gets a participation, but you want the big one at the end. That's what's really important. 
good athletes get treated different in school and you know get the preferential treatment in college and i remember there was actually a class i had with a professor who i fell asleep in an eight o'clock class i had pt i was in the in the army i was out there doing physical training at 5 36 o'clock in the morning and i fell asleep well the quarterback from the football team slept every single day and he never woke him up so i was like that, that's not a well he's a football player like, well, i'm a soldier <laughs> i don't know why there's a big difference there so it's it's funny that you mentioned it but the pressure that is put on young people or people my age is just ridiculous and it's gotten worse and worse as time has gone on i mean i watch my my nephews and nieces my children and it's all about winning you know they're playing travel sports at younger and younger ages those are seven well, and single sports soccer. right they're specializing at such early ages that's that's just tragic to me uh instead of play everything right uh, oh yeah yeah i was always I, I never made it past being a b tennis player but i love tennis it's great you know i still go out and play periodically I was like a 10 or 15, 20 handicap in golf, but I love golf. It's a whole lot of fun. <laughs> Did I win the championship? No. <laughs> uh, and being a generalist and enjoying a lot of things, I think gives you a much fuller life or certainly has for me because there's no shortage of stuff I can go do for entertainment and fun and friends that I have from each of these different disciplines that I never won the big game, but I sure had a good time playing. It's more about the experiences, you know, there's not a much of a chance that you're going to go pro in a sport. There's not much of a chance that, you know, you're going to be a movie star. You could work toward it, but don't be disappointed with the opportunities that are about money. And that's what you're full epiphany and mentality. And that's, that's awesome. Talked a little bit about considering writing a book. I think you really should. Yeah, that would take writing. <laughs> well, I know a writer. <laughs> you know a writer. Yeah, I'd be a ghost writer, right? so i think we're kind of winding down here a little bit what other stuff would you like to bring up well maybe just then that uh pivot point of the last thing that i was talking about is uh partially related to just the concept of gratitude and that's been a big change in terms of my own peace in life uh you know part of it is that uh specific phrasing of, you know, the joys that I've had of a second place life. But part of that recognition of that item came out of just going back and being thankful for all the things that I have had. Uh, did I have a silver spoon and, you know, and nepotistic opportunities and all that? Uh, nope. But I've had a very uh, enjoyable life, one that I, I'm just I'm thrilled to look back on that's been filled with so many different wonderful people, wonderful experiences. Uh, thank God for good health. Um, just a lucky guy. And I think the more we focus on those things, the less we focus on whatever the tribulations are, the better we feel. I'm, the better I feel, that's for sure. Uh, when I was, I had a few years that were pretty challenging emotionally going through uh, divorce and uh, losing a job that uh, I was making really good money at and uh, all that happened like within a 90 day period. I pretty much uh, had sort of a rock bottom period uh, emotionally and getting out of that. The, the key to that was choosing to focus really on the gratitude and the uh, positive things that I have or can create in life and not spending so much time dwelling on the crap, you know, because there's some of the crap from uh, that era in my life is still the exact same way it was. It's just as crap, <laughs> but I don't spend time thinking about it. 
you know, I, there's nothing I can do about that or them, um, but I can uh, decide what I want to focus on today, like uh, spending time with you and uh, people who want to try and be thankful for the lives they have and make lives life better for themselves and uh, people around them. Absolutely. There's always more crap. If you look for oh. it, you're going to find it. No, thanks. Yeah, disengage. Go sailing. <laughs> Do something enjoyable rather than doing something frustrating. Yeah, or even just think about something enjoyable rather than something frustrating. And if you're looking at that website, um, you know, so I, in my retirement here, I've started reading more, um, getting subscriptions to some of the magazine um, sub uh, online subscriptions. So I'm seeing these emails with their various articles. And if it's one that's all about stuff that creates drama for me and, you know, about events in the country that are uncomfortable to me and I just, Click X, click the little trash can, and move on to the next one. I don't want to engage that because the more I do, the you know those negative feelings just sit in me and make me feel uncomfortable. So, you know, I'll go look at a, a read another sailing article or try to write something in a sailing book. Maybe we'll see. Find things that are enjoyable in life. I think that's a that's great advice for everyone because today you can find negativity literally everywhere, and if you can't. If you can't affect it, why let it dwell on you? You said that so perfectly. I, if I can't do anything about it, then why am I just letting it soak all over me and you know <laughs> wash all over me instead of uh, trying to focus on things either I can do about or that I enjoy and that make me feel good, make me feel pleasant, make you know, the world around me a better place. So you know that's been a big one is there's so many of these things. I'm not going to change some of these people's behavior out on the extremes of either the left or the right. I think they're both crazy. Uh, so I just let them go. You know, made me make my little piece about, you know, that's not really true. <laughs> let them, with uh, whatever lie of the day is being propagated by whomever. And uh, just try to go back to doing things pleasant like this with you, uh, with other people that I do similar, you know, I have, uh, you know, I will add one more thing. I'm really blessed to have a couple of best friends. Uh, we've been, we've known each other since uh, some of us back to college, others uh, the last 15 years or so. And I was reading something about having rituals with those friends where you do things, even if it's on a couple of times a year basis is all that you, you know, reconvene, but you maintain that connection with each other. Uh, I'm, that's been a real positive blessing for me as well. So you got folks that you can sit down and really share open, safe conversation with and connect with, boy, don't let them go. Uh, do what it takes to stick with them. Even if you don't agree on everything, uh, <laughs> take the good, you know, and leave the rest. Yeah, no, that, that's another great point. You know, it's about the quality, not the quantity of friends. You know, the people with 50,000 social media connections, and you're like, but do you know any of them? Can you talk with any of them? I have one or two people I can really count on, then a whole bunch of people that I wouldn't even know if I disappear off the face of the earth. They would not. Yep. Your, your, your feed could just sit there and they wouldn't even miss you. So a couple questions for you here. So you've, you've been well-traveled. I know you get to do a lot of traveling with work, but where's somewhere that you've never been that you've always wanted to go? Istanbul. Ooh. Although maybe not, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
after that earthquake recently, I imagine everything in Turkey is a little upside down. Yeah, um, those kinds of places. Uh, I'd like to go to Patagonia, the southern tip of South America. So one for culture and one for nature. Yes, that'd be a beautiful destination. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, and being retired, my wife and I, we're actually, you know, exploring. The reason I could answer that so quickly is we're kind of, we're trying to put together some, how could we go do that? You don't want to go to Patagonia um, in the North American summer. Now, right now, this time of year would be a great time to be down there. So we won't make it this year, but maybe in the years to come. Yeah, hopefully that'd be an interesting trip. You know, South America, that's not the, that part of South America is not the portion many people think about, but it's probably, you know, a very unique area. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, you know, back to, we talked about strategic thinking. And my wife keeps asking me, why do you keep practicing learning Spanish? You know, and I'm just picking my way at a tiny little bit at a time, tiny little bit at a time, trying, trying to keep it in my mind so that when I go to these places in South America, I'm not completely helpless. <laughs> Am I going this month? Am I going this year? No. But kind of like my being a sailing instructor and teaching people to sail on 14-foot boats eventually evolved into me teaching sailing on 50-foot boats. And so being able to speak Spanish just a little bit if we end up going and spending, you know, multiple months in a Spanish-speaking country, which is a whole lot of the world over here, you know, South America and uh, good portions of Europe, um, I'll be a step ahead. And so I'm just putting down little little stones in the possible uh, scenarios of my life that might come in the future. Not that you're, it's a different question. You're not really a regrets person, but you know, what's an opportunity that you either wish you would have taken or that you wish you could have capitalized on? I wish I'd spent more time working on my emotional health and not just working so hard. Uh, you know, in the big money-making portion of my career, because that's what uh, caused my divorce. That's what uh, has created all the uh, those emotional problems that I was referring to earlier that I won't get into more deeply. But the things that I've learned since I've started to focus on that have been profound in terms of uh, my own peace and uh, my own satisfaction in life. So a follow-up question made me think of that I wasn't before. <clears throat> When it comes to, you know, the money-making part of your life, and this is something, you know, people, some people are just obsessed with being the best. Some people just want to make as much money as possible. I think you're more aligned with my thinking is why I try to go after it. What is your reasoning? I'd be curious if we're aligned there. What is the reason you tried to go after the money? Like, what was the overall end goal? Oh, at that time, it was really about uh, meeting other people's, my ex-wife's expectations, and my own expectations of, you know, what a life was supposed to look like. Uh, what we were, you know, supposed to own and be able to do and all that, uh, keeping up with the Joneses kind of business that's uh, a pit you know, that a lot of people fall into. And my 
you know, years, early years living with uh, a whole lot less than, you know, most people around me, I think did give me a little bit of a pendulum swing there. If I need to, you know, have all of this stuff because I never did when I was a kid. And so I need to provide it to my kids. And, you know, that turned it out, turned out kind of backfiring that, you know, I think made them a little bit more feeling of entitlement, in fact, whereas, you know, I know my, my siblings and I talk about this pretty often. It's like, we got by with nothing. So, you know, if an employer or other situation was going to take everything away from us, it's like, yeah, whatever. Done. You know, <laughs> it happened before. <laughs> we lived through it. We're fine. Um, start over. Whatever. Uh, because we felt like we could. We, You know, our, our mom definitely instilled that in us that, you know, that was, you know, temporary and that we could make our lives whatever we wanted to make them uh, if we just uh, – worked at it and it's pretty much proven, proven truthful for all of us. Okay. So my last question here, this is one I usually give to all the, the guests on the podcast. And I really tried to think of something profound. I don't know if it is or not, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what you think about it. But you know, there's different ages that impact everybody a little bit different, but an age I came up with, that's going to be pretty similar for most people is 14, you know, either going from junior high to high school, middle school to high school, whatever the transition is. If you could talk to your 14 year old self, what would you tell them? Wow. That, that's really, a t you know, I've looked back at my life so many times and have just said, you know, I feel pretty lucky that it worked out exactly the way it did. That I learned some of the things the hard way that I did uh, because it feated the lessons so much more firmly. Um, I think a lot of mistakes we don't want to repeat, right? We'd rather learn from someone else's experience. I don't need to fall on my face too many times. But some of those lessons that I had learned the hard way, uh, they, they were really excellent. It took me a long time, maybe. So now kind of just saying the words here has helped me come to something that uh, don't compare yourself to other folks. You know, there was a lot of uh, I, uh, this. Uh, uh, what's the phrase for thinking that you're uh, unqualified? Um, yeah, the imposter, imposter syndrome. syndrome. Thank you. Uh, senioritis. <laughs> um, I had a lot of that, you know, because I was from a little college in South Dakota. I didn't have the University of Michigan ring or the, uh, the Stanford ring of the people around me. But it turned out, heck, I was a better programmer than they were. But it still just nagged at me that kind of um, you, you don't come from the right background business. And so if I could have like weeded that out of myself earlier, I think that would have really been a, a positive emotional piece for me because uh, I did have a not worthy syndrome, you know, feeling for a lot time, a long time. And now I'm much more, I'm where I am. I have the skills I have, and there's always going to be somebody that has different, better, whatever skills and more, much more practical and objective about that. Uh, so that's, that's one that uh, if anything, and the other one is just, you know, dealing with anger and emotions and getting involved in programs that, would have stopped that for me sooner in life. I have no idea where it would have led differently. Uh, what might have ended up in the same problems, uh, but uh, with uh, some of the relationships that I had. Uh, but uh, who can know? 
uh, I sure know I'm happy that I have uh, put that behind me and that made some changes in that regard. It's a good question for me. Thank you. No, that was a great answer. That's one of my favorite ones I've gotten thus far. So that pretty much is going to wrap it up, and I'll open up to you for closing thoughts. No, uh, I'm just really uh, having a good time talking with you again. Uh, it's been fun to watch uh, our careers and lives uh, evolve. That goes back to, uh, you know, you don't have to have uh, deep uh, see-you-every-week relationships with people to still really enjoy coming back and reconnecting for a few minutes. And uh, this has been a good time, Casey. Thanks. You know, it's been an absolute pleasure for me, too. we got to do it again without so much of a gap in between. This well, time. and in person and on a boat. Hey, if you're, if you're taking me out, I'll go. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll make that happen. All right. Thanks, everyone. All right. Great. Bye-bye. See ya. Thank you for listening to Constructive Curiosity. Constructive Curiosity is presented by SFC Consulting. For all your career coaching, project management, and leadership development needs, SFC Consulting has the insight to get it right. Visit sfcconsultingservices.com for more information.